Thank you and be seated. All right, how are you this evening? Good. Did you get your nap in? No? Yes? Some did? All right. Hospitalized, we want to pray for this evening, include Ed Polk, who's continuing to recover from a a light stroke and, and test as a result of that, so we want to pray for him. Hospitalized members now home. I think Ralph Rigdon had a heart cath uh, on Thursday and got home Friday. Tried to call the house, couldn't get an answer. So I hope he's recovering at home. Uh, Let's remember Bill Bowen, who'll be starting radiation tomorrow. Wilma Tyson, who had surgery Monday, got home Tuesday and is recovering at home. We want to express Christian sympathy to Keith and Julie Rucker and the death of Keith's grandmother, his 93-year-old grandmother, Rebecca Rucker for whom his daughter's named. Uh, she was living in Fort Myers, Florida, but originally from Conyers, so they'll be going to Conyers for the services. Must be remembering the Rucker family. Also, I know you're interested in the results of the uh, decision this morning with 777 ballots cast, 476 in favor, 301 opposed. So 61% in favor of the motion. Shall we bow and uh, just ask God to bless us and bless uh, these who have special physical needs. Father, as we, we gather here to worship you, we know that you are a great and mighty God and you have poured yourself out and offered us so much, provided for us, and been faithful to us in the past. Father, we lift up Brother Ed Palk, and we ask that you continue to be with him and strengthen him. I know he must be anxious to get home. Be with Miss Joanne as she she cares for him and and ministers to him. Guide the doctors as they run tests to know what they have to do. um, And just give him new health and strength so he'll be able to be home soon. We pray for Ralph Rigdon as he recovers uh, from a heart cath, for Bill Bowen as he begins... Um, radiation tomorrow, and we pray for Wilma Tyson as she continues to heal from recent surgery. Lord, be with Keith and Julie Rucker and the death of Keith's grandmother and uh, help them as they make arrangements and just keep them safe as they travel um, to honor his grandmother and, and to go through those steps of grief that happen when we lose a family member and a loved one. Father, we pray for our church. We pray for our future. We pray for your guidance, your wisdom, and your instruction. Speak to us and uh, help us to follow. Help us now in worship to realize how great your love is. As manifest on the cruel cross 2,000 years ago, we thank you for the meaning that it still has in our world, and in our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hymn number 473, More Love to Thee, O Christ. Will you please stand as we sing.
about with me. Um, Father God, I, I thank you so much um, for, for us gathering here tonight, Father, um, for all the, the good things uh, and the good ways that you're moving. Um, God, and I, I pray that our hearts will uh, be so submissive to those things, Father, um, especially in our giving. God, where sometimes we give in areas we think that we can do best in, God, but we pray that you take this offering, God, and, and do what is good for you and allow us to step away. And I pray this in Jesus' name.
Thank you, Nick and Leah and Allie and Vivian, for leading us tonight. Allie, I remember the night you were born. And here you are playing hymns, praising God, and I rejoice. Uh, I, I give him thanks for that. John 12, 23 through 33. Go preach on the cross tonight. Lift high the cross. John twelve twenty three through 33. Vivian, I don't remember the night you were born, but I'm sure it was about the same time Allie was. Sometime. Oh, 
There's, where is she? There she is. Okay. Not much older, are you? And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there shall my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing heard it and said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him, and Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show by what death he was to die. I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Shall we pray? Father, as we uh, come to worship, forgive us for watering down the message of the cross in order to make it what we think would be more appealing to the masses. And in reality, we are damaging its drawing power because it's only when we present the cross and all of its sacrifice and all of, and all of that which, which the world calls ugly Only then does its drawing power pour out and bring people to its foot. Always, Lord, help us preach the cross and all its power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever played with magnets a lot? They fascinate me. Um, I remember studying in science how you pass an electric current through a piece of metal or something, and that will align the electrons up. Is that right? And, and then when you align those, those things up and it begins to, to have a pull or, or repulsion, um, I love those things. They just they fascinate me. And I remember when I was a kid, I used to get these little catalogs, you know, where you could send off for a couple dollars and buy crazy little trinkets and things and and I sent off about $4 when I didn't have a lot of money, about eight or nine years old, and I got a hundred tiny magnets about the size of a chiclet. And I had those things posted all over our house. Um, it, and how, how those magnets attracted certain metals but not others, and, and how you could push them together, and they would, they, if you turned the poles different, they would repel each other, and then when you stacked them up, the the greater the drawing power would be when they added up. Well, there are people who have drawing power like that too. They're called charismatic. Some of them are good, some of them are not. But what they have in common is that they draw people, they attract people. And there's some kind of magnetism about their personalities. 
In our passage this evening, John gives us a clue as to what draws people to Jesus. And it comes as a surprise. If I were to stand here and ask you, what draws people to Christ, what would you answer? What would you say? What appeals to you about Jesus? Some people might mention an aspect of his life or his teaching or his ministry. Some people might mention the fact that he is so good and loving and kind. It's ironic in a way, but I doubt many people would mention the cross. Let's be honest. Would you say the cross is attractive? Would you say the cross draws you to Jesus? I guess it's strange, but I don't think I have ever seen anywhere in our world a cross that looks like the one Jesus actually died on. I guess it makes us too uncomfortable. And so we usually polish it up and we put it in a sanctuary or we hang it on a pendant around our neck and it's usually made of gold or silver or pewter and and we make it as, as beautiful and aesthetically pleasing as we can. But the real cross didn't look anything like that. It was harsh, and it was cruel. And yet in our text this evening, John says it's that the power of Jesus to attract people directly to his manner of death on the cross, it's that ugliness of the cross that draws people to Jesus. And yet here we are polishing it up and watering it down. How in the world could such a cruel and violent death attract anyone? Well, there's some clues found in our passage this evening. The first thing is we see here fulfillment through sacrifice. Part of the attractiveness of the cross is that through it, Jesus offers us a completely new perspective on life, a completely different way of looking at life, fulfillment through sacrifice. Jesus said in verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And now, if you were in the audience that day, that must have sent a, a chill of excitement coursing through the people. Jesus said his hour has come, and they assumed that it was going to be his golden age for Israel in which they had long awaited. The hour has come for Jesus' enthronement. Oh boy, we can't wait. But they must have staggered at the idea of glorification in terms of sacrifice. Because right after saying that, Jesus gave them the analogy of a grain of wheat and related it to his own death. Just as a grain of wheat has to fall to the ground and die in order to bear fruit and increase, so Jesus must die in order to fulfill his mission. And he made it very clear, abundantly clear, that those who selfishly grasped for life would ultimately lose it. And it's only by surrendering one's life to God that it could be multiplied. And this message about sacrifice is so diametrically opposed to the message we have in our world today because in our world today we have books entitled Look Out for Number One. We have books entitled Winning Through Intimidation. And so the understanding of the cross that teaches fulfillment through sacrifice, through self-giving, through dying to self is a concept that's totally foreign and difficult to swallow. In a lot of churches, there is a health, wealth, and prosperity message being preached as biblical faith. And they avoid any messages on the cross because that comes across as being too negative. It brings people down. 
And so you turn on the TV and listen for how many messages you actually hear on the cross. Not very many. And yet in spite of all this, the Gospel of John clearly tells us that the invitation to take up your cross and follow me is exactly what draws people to Jesus. It is exactly what makes Christianity attractive. The call to sacrifice challenges the self-centered life that we know is really empty and unsatisfying. People who, mis- who pursue materialism find greater emptiness. The more you try to fill your bucket with things, the bigger your bucket becomes. And you're never happy. You're never satisfied. It's like trying to drink salt water to quench your thirst. Not only does it, does it not work, but it's counterproductive. It just makes things even worse. In preaching class in seminary, we had to stand up and preach to each other. And I tell you, that was a lesson in humility. One student in preaching, I remember he said, if we really preached the cross, it would empty our churches. And he was referring, of course, to the radical demands that the cross places upon us. But in my evaluation, I disagreed with him, and so does the Bible. Because watering down the gospel and its message is what empties the churches placing absolutely no expectation at all on followers of Jesus Christ is what empties churches. The call to sacrifice is what brings people to Jesus and to the church. The gospel says that real life, abundant life, comes from not getting everything there is to get, but from giving everything you have to give. So the cross gives us a new perspective, fulfillment through sacrifice. Secondly, it teaches us that faith sees victory and not defeat. The cross draws us to Christ because through the cross, Jesus moved through his ministry to triumph. But that's not what it seemed like at the time. The disciples fled following the crucifixion because they thought this is the end. And after Jesus, they're going to come after us. But only through the eyes of faith and after the resurrection are we able to look back at that same scene and say, no, no, that's not the end. That's only the beginning. Jesus experienced inner conflict as he faced the cross. I just noticed this, verse 27. Now is my soul troubled. Jesus said that. Don't think every day in Jesus' life was a primrose path. You think you have difficulties and struggles and hardships? So did Jesus, because he knew what he was going to face. And it was not something that he was looking forward to. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And they didn't force Jesus to go to the cross. He willingly submitted He had the power that day, not those who crucified him. He was the one in control. The Gospel of John doesn't have the experience of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. But this tension is recorded here in verse 27. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, from this very purpose I have come to this hour. The cross 
became God's mighty act of love and revelation and sacrifice. And it was in the cross that Jesus became triumphant. What had been a symbol of death became a sign of life. What looked like man's worst mistake became God's greatest act. What looked like Satan's triumph became God's victory. And what looked like a tiny sect of Judaism, a splinter group, became a worldwide religion with a message of hope for every human being. And so we are drawn to the cross because we see in it God's power and sovereignty in our lives and in our world. The cross, by a miracle of God, has become for us a symbol of triumph. The Jews said the cross made Jesus unacceptable. There is a law in the Old Testament that said, cursed be he who dies on a tree. And they saw the cross as being made of wood and therefore affiliated with the tree. But God said, not only is Jesus cursed for dying on the cross, but he is blessed. The very opposite of what the world saw is what God was trying to show us. So faith sees victory and not defeat when it looks at the cross. Finally, the cross is the place where we meet God. It's attractive because somehow God speaks to us through it. Because we know down in the very depths of our being that it was God who was there dying on the cross. God was in Christ, it says in Ephesians, reconciling the world to himself. And so we learn that there is a God who is personal and loving and good. And he is not removed and distant from us. He has not abandoned us in this vast universe, but he has come to live beside us. And he died on the cross on our behalf. The cross is a place of sacrifice. God takes our sins seriously, and it was not a cheap price to pay for our sins. I don't understand exactly how the miracle of redemption, that that transaction took place on the cross, but I know that a price had to be paid, and the wages of sin is death, and God paid that transaction for us. And we can stand at the foot of the cross and look at it and say, it was for my sins. He died. I remember so vividly looking at the picture that we use in faith of of the lower half of the cross, and you see Jesus' knees and his calves and his feet nailed to the cross, but the focus of the picture is about four people standing around the foot of the cross. And unlike most pictures of the cross where you have Roman centurions and Jesus' mother and other folks there at the crucifixion, rather than those standing around the cross, they're pictures of folks like you and I in modern-day clothing. Different races, different cultures, holding the hammer the nails, all the tools of the crucifixion. And it really drove home to me the truth that it was our sins that put Jesus on the cross. And it was as if I nailed him there myself. It was for my sins he died. The cross is also a word of hope to everyone who suffers. It shows how Things will finally conclude when Satan is conquered and judged and the cross becomes a constant reminder that love will overcome hate, 
that truth will conquer the lie, and that life will eventually destroy death. You see, you see what the cross does over and over again. What the world sees is the exact opposite of what God is trying to show us. And God used the ugliest, cruelest form of death that was available in the Roman Empire at that time and used it to become the most beautiful symbol of victory the world has ever known. And so the cross draws us because in our depths of our being, we know that we had something to do with it. The beautiful hymn that we're going to conclude with, or earlier asked the question, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there? Yes, we were there. And we stand before the cross and our souls are laid bare and scanned by the light of the gospel of love. You know, speaking of scanning, the hospital has MRIs and it has CAT scans that can probe the innermost recesses of our bodies. And I understand, well, I've actually gone through this. When you go through the TSA checkpoints at the airport, those scans are pretty revealing too. But when we stand in front of the cross, we are scanned in a much more powerful and revealing way. And it draws us to it. At the cross, all the things we think are important are exposed for the sham they really are. And we are freed to live the life that God created us to live. While there's something in us that likes to hold on to those illusions of the past, there is still the deep desire to know what is real and what is valuable and what is eternal. And that's what the cross draws us toward. We are drawn to the cross because we see operating there a power to break, a power that has the potential to break the cycle of of failure and rescuing us permanently because in our self-centeredness we have tried to find freedom apart from God and instead we have only found slavery because friends I tell you we are going to be a slave to something it's going to be our it's either going to be ourselves it's going to be Satan it's going to be God We're going to be a slave to something. Something in our life is going to be our master. And at the cross, we glimpse the possibility of real freedom by being a slave to God. At the cross, we see a message of love that has forgiveness written all over it. A psychologist was once asked what was the one thing he wished he could do for his clients that he could not possibly do. And he said, he answered, he said, I wish I could say to them, your sins are forgiven. Because so many people the psychiatrist was seeing could manage their problems so much easier if they just knew their sins were forgiven. At the cross, people can stand and hear those words of forgiveness. And that kind of forgiveness will always draw people to the cross. One of the best-loved hymns over the years that we are going to sing for invitation, is the old rugged cross. And the second verse in that hymn contains the lines, that old rugged cross, so despised by the world, what? Has a wondrous attraction for me. How is that possible? How is something so despised by the world attract us does it attract you 
It's where you can learn that real life comes through sacrifice. It's where you can learn the kind of life that's victorious. It's where you can meet God and know that forgiveness and love and hope are eternal, and it's where saving faith is born. So the cross has become the symbol of all that Jesus has done for us, and it is precisely what draws us to him. So when we hold up the cross and Jesus crucified, that's releasing the power. Jesus says that's what will draw people unto himself. That's what we need to do. The cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, it is the power of God. Shall we pray? God, I guess it's the way you always work. You take the very ugliest, least likely thing the world could imagine and turn it into the most beautiful, most attracting symbol of our faith. The cross represents everything that Jesus did for us by his death, burial, and resurrection. Something that was a horrible instrument of torture and death became the very means for our salvation, our forgiveness of sins, and and our opportunity for eternal life. If you had taken something beautiful and used it, then we might have been drawn to it for the wrong reason. But you said the cross would be that which draws people to Jesus. And it represents your power and your forgiveness and your grace. Father, thank you for the cross, that old rugged cross that means everything to those who believe. If there's anyone here tonight that's perishing in their sins and that sees the cross as folly, as foolishness, Help them to see that it's the very means of salvation. We hold it up and we let you draw people to it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are going to sing hymn number 141, The Old Rugged Cross. I'll be at the front to receive you if you have a decision to share publicly with us tonight. You come as we stand and sing.